Well, hey everybody, so glad that you could join us for today's service. Whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're a part of what God is going to do today. Our service is gonna begin in just a few moments, so hang in there and we look forward to what God is going to do. We are praying that God would speak to us, that he would draw us closer to him, that we would learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and to worship him and to love him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. So we're looking forward to what God is gonna do. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, coming up on July 31st, we will have our annual uh, beach worship service down at Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. So I want you to make plans right now, uh, July 31st. Do not come to this building the morning of July 31st and instead travel to Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. We will have music, um, a short message, and the, maybe the most important thing is time together as a church family hanging out all afternoon as long as you can make it into your schedule on Seabright Beach in Santa Cruz. Bring a lunch, bring a towel, bring some sunscreen, and come to Seabright Beach July 31st instead of coming here on Sunday morning. And for anyone who has not yet been baptized, one of the amazing things that we often do when we are down at Seabright Beach um, is have baptisms in the ocean. So if you have been waiting to be baptized, if you are a believer in Christ and have not been baptized since you became a believer, now's the time. We want to baptize you in the ocean down at Seabright Beach on July 31st. So make sure you get that into your schedule and we will see you there.
church. We are so delighted to get to worship with you this morning. It is so great to be together and to sing out to our God. The song we just sang is actually straight from scripture, so I wanted to read that to you this morning. That was from Psalm 18, which says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. What a beautiful message this morning. As I was thinking about that passage, I was reminded of a conversation I was having this week with one of our college students. I was talking to them about how we not only get to live this life for God, but we also get to live it with him. So if this morning you're struggling with something heavy and it feels weighty and you feel like you can't carry it, we invite you to bring it to your rock, your stronghold, your fortress, the only one who can carry it. Bring it before him. So as we continue to sing these next few songs, we invite you to do just that. Talk to God, pray to him, be in a conversation with him this morning. Let us continue to sing and worship to our mighty fortress.
time we come to worship we're singing songs and it just hit me sitting over here in the pew that so often we just go through the motions don't we we sing songs that we may give uh, a little bit of thought to but how beautiful is it whenever we're singing songs that we're actually declaring from our heart and that we declare to be true and a song like that just reminds us of what the bible calls the gospel the good news about Jesus Christ and our desire as leaders here at the church is to see each and every one of us become the fully mature believers that God desires us to be and each of us have next steps to take in terms of following Jesus and following in obedience to the person that Jesus desires us to be to be conformed more into the likeness of Jesus one of the next steps that we've been talking about over the last few weeks and I just want to talk about briefly here is about the importance of baptism, the importance of baptism. In two weeks from today, Sunday, July the 31st, we will not be here for our service. We've been talking about how we will be at the beach that uh, day, Seabright Beach, and you can find information about that online. But one of the desires that we have is to find folks who are ready to take that next step to follow in uh, believer's baptism. And I just wanna talk briefly about why we do baptism as a church and what the Bible teaches about this. And this is not going to be a long-winded sermon at all. For me personally, I shared a couple weeks ago that I got baptized when I was seven years old. Um, I was in Morristown, New Jersey, and my sister is in town visiting Cheryl. I don't know where exactly where she's sitting, but she, there, she's right there. She and I were baptized on the same day. Um, I followed her example. She made a decision to follow Jesus and Cheryl, as my older sister, when I was little, would often talk about the importance of things that uh, she was doing and I just wanted to follow in her footsteps. And so she and my parents and my Sunday school teacher talked about the importance of uh, following Jesus and getting baptized and I wanted to do that. So uh, Cheryl and I both did that the very same day. Some of you have your own story 
Uh, I've since grown in my faith since that moment, of course, and I'm grateful, though, for that moment because it's a symbol of my next step at that moment. I'll never, I'll never forget it. I can still see it in my mind's eye, Cheryl getting baptized first and then me getting baptized. It's just an incredible uh, moment for us. So the reason why we get baptized, there's a couple d different things that I just want to uh, encourage us with. One is, is that we're following the example of Jesus. We're following the example of Jesus. Jesus himself was baptized, not because he needed to be baptized for his own repentance and his own sin, but it says that he was baptized as an example to us to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus, just as he obeyed his heavenly father in all things, so we are to do the same. And so we follow the example of Jesus. He set an example for us to be baptized. So we get baptized to follow the example of Jesus. We also get baptized in obedience to the command of Jesus. We're told in the Great Commission that we're to be baptized, that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to every creature. When Jesus uh, gave his life for all, yet not all seek to follow Jesus, and yet when we get baptized, we're obeying the command of Christ. We're obeying the command of Christ. We're following the example of Christ. We're also getting baptized to identify with the body of Christ. We're getting baptized to identify with other believers here uh, that are gathered together. We happen to be gathered in a building, but the building is just a building. The building could go away and we would still be the church, would we not? We'd still be the body of Christ. And so there is no category in the New Testament for a person who decides to follow Jesus who then doesn't follow that with baptism. It, it just wasn't a thing. It was always the next step. You decide to follow Jesus and you follow that up with baptism. And so as you do that, you are doing so to identify with this covenant community that we're a part of. Again, the building could go away, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ who are saying, I am aligning with these other individuals in a covenant commitment to, to express my unity with them. We also get baptized uh, to illustrate the grace of Christ, the, the gospel of Christ, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. We get baptized as we go under the water and come up out of the water, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of our sins being washed away. It's just water, but it's a symbol of our sins being washed away by what Jesus did for us on the cross. But it's also a symbol of going into the water and coming out that symbolizes death to ourselves, just as Jesus went into the tomb and then he rose again. So we die to ourselves when we follow Jesus and we come up as new creatures. It's a symbol of that. And so there's so many different things that we could talk about. I, before the service, had somebody who is expressing interest to be baptized. If you have not been baptized um, and yet you've decided to follow Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that because I think that that is, for many of you, your next step. Before that, your next step, if you've never decided to follow Jesus and to put your hope and trust in what he has done for you by giving his life, just as we sang in that song, giving his life for you and for me and saying, in order for me to be made right with God, my good works don't save me. In order for me to have a relationship with God, my goodness is not good enough. Jesus, in his perfection, fulfilled that righteous fulfillment for me so that we are justified. His perfect record given to me. He paid the debt that I could never pay, that you could never pay. Our sins separate us from God, but Jesus, through his death on the cross, makes it possible for us to be made right with him. So. If you've never professed faith in that with your mouth and in following the Lord Jesus uh, in, in terms of identifying yourself as a Jesus follower, that is your next step. And then after you take that next step, 
it is baptism. That's your next step. We're going to be baptizing at the beach. We'd love to talk to you further about that so that this can be a really, truly um, memorable experience. Please feel free to reach out to one of the pastors or to myself or staff, and we'll talk to you about those next steps. But we just hope that that morning is a wonderful expression of worship to God as we gather on the beach to worship, but also celebrate with those who go into the water and are saying, I identify with what Jesus did for me, and I want the whole world to see that right now. So as we continue to worship, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about our assurance that Jesus provides for us, that not only can a person have a relationship with God, they can know that they have that relationship. So let's continue to worship as we consider these things together. Would you stand and worship with us?
the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions 
and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Superman movies uh, and probably comic books um, have an inherent difficulty. They are, from the start, doomed to be at least a little anticlimactic. Um, part of that is because Superman is owned by DC Comics instead of Marvel, and DC just doesn't have as good a writers. Um, but part of it is because they're trying to create a suspenseful plot for a character who is impervious to all pain and all danger. He's Superman. He's untouchable. He could swallow a nuclear weapon and have it explode in his stomach and it wouldn't hurt him. He can fly in the vacuum of space where he can't breathe and he can do that with ease. He could fly into the heart of the sun. So what's a bad guy going to do to him? Nothing, right? And as soon as you realize that, it's obvious how the movie is going to end before it even starts. Even if Superman fought every military power in the world at the same time, it might take a little while, but he'd eventually win. So it's hard to be on the edge of your seat during a Superman movie. And sure, the writers always try to make it interesting with some kryptonite or some massive weapon that can destroy the whole planet, or they give Superman some kind of dilemma, like he must choose between whether he's going to save Lois Lane or he's going to save humanity and he can't do both. But whatever he chooses, you always know that Superman himself is going to be okay in the end. And if he's not okay, he'll come back to life in the case of the most recent movie. Um, the writers actually killed him finally, but even still, uh, they didn't pull off a very suspenseful plot. Uh, it's tricky. It's, it's a difficult task the writers face. I mean, what plot would you come up with? For Superman? Like what danger could Superman face that would actually be pretty interesting? It's difficult. Uh, the psalm that we're looking at today sounds a lot like Superman. It appears to say that we, as people who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, that we will have extraordinary abilities. 
Verses like, verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. The young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. That's, nothing's going to touch you. A 10,000 fall at your right hand? That's Superman, right? So Psalm 91 seems to give a picture of somebody in the middle of a battlefield and all the swords and spears are just like bouncing off of him. One guy takes out 10,000 others with ease. There's lions and serpents and soldiers and plagues, but all of those just slide right off of us, slide right off of us without causing any harm whatsoever. Do you think you have that kind of Superman power as a Christian? where you are untouchable, um, where the plot of your life would be kind of anticlimactic. This seems to say that we do. Now, probably like you, my instinct is to say, no way. No way we have that kind of power. Maybe the psalmist was having a really good day or something, and he felt this way when he wrote it, and good for him. But it can't literally be true. This claim is too extraordinary, isn't it? Or is it? What if this were true? Someone went to the trouble of writing it down. It survived for thousands of years, so maybe there's something to it. We are rightfully skeptical. But let's see. Um, as we study this psalm today, we'll look at God's power, three aspects of it. Second, we'll see how God's power protects us. And finally, we'll see the reason we can have confidence that this protection is real. So. Three aspects of God's power, how that power protects us, or in what way are we protected, and how we can know that we really will be protected. So first, three aspects of God's power that protects us. Before we do anything else, we want to find out if it is fair to say the psalmist is claiming that we will have Superman-like abilities. Are we reading the text correctly if that's how we read it? Or have we assumed something from the text that isn't really there? Is it really saying that we will be impervious to all threats? Yes, it is saying that. That is a fair reading of the text. In fact, it's really saying that we will have far greater powers than Superman because God's power, which is protecting us, is unmatched, it's proactive, and it's approachable. It's unmatched, it's proactive, and it's approachable. We'll take these quickly, one at a time. Unmatched. From the very first verse, the psalmist refers to God as the Most High and the Almighty. There is no rival, there is no equal to God's power. By definition, there can only be one Most High. There is no contender that is going to make it interesting uh, with a fight in God, with God. God is not in some mono imano battle royale with Satan until the end of time. In Scripture, Satan can only do precisely what he is permitted to do. And at the end of time, when Jesus shows up and to deal with Satan, it's not a struggle. It's over before it starts. We just sang, one little word shall fell him. Um, you want to talk about an anticlimactic movie it's anything involving God's power, because there is no kryptonite. And the psalmist says it's that power that is going to keep you. The psalm actually goes back and forth between the psalmist speaking and God speaking, and it is God who says, I will deliver him. I will protect him, verse 14. I will honor him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him, verse 15 which is frankly way more power. God's power is way more power than faster than a speeding bullet 
more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. God is way more than that. God is unlimited in time and space and energy, and he's for you. It's that unmatched power that is shielding you, protecting you. So it's way more than Superman. Second, the power of God is proactive. The psalmist draws attention to how God protects us from unseen foes. There's a snare, disease, terror of the night, an arrow that is flying. Each of those come out of nowhere. We would have no idea any of those threats were about to get us. Snares are hidden, like, on purpose so that we don't see them. Diseases, verse 10. I mean, we may know, we're all experts in this now, right? We know pathogens are near us, but for the last two years, we've all been wondering if today is the day that we get covid Right? We can, and we can take certain precautions, but we can't stop it. Even the most careful of us have gotten it. So plagues and diseases are unseen foes. Same with terror of the night, verse 5. Those come at us from the shadows. They lay in the darkness ready to strike. We, we, we don't know that they are there. We can't really defend ourselves because that threat is unseen. Same with arrows that fly. We're still in verse 5. Arrows are shot from a great distance. We wouldn't know they were launched or even who launched them. We wouldn't hear them coming. They are silent. They are unseen foes, and God protects us from all of those. God is never caught off guard. He's never surprised. God has never learned anything. He never says, oh, Lex Luthor escaped from jail again? What? I wonder what he might be up to. What could he be plotting? No, God doesn't say that. God knows it all. He's out there working in the places that we can't even see, defending or defeating the foes that we don't even know about. He's proactive. For us, maybe there are all kind of plots against us that we wouldn't even see coming, launched by people who are cowards and would never confront us to our faces, But maybe they're building an army against you, and you have no idea it's coming until it hits you out of the blue. So from our vantage point, it is unseen. It's unstoppable because we don't even know about it. But God knows that it's there. God knows what all those troubles are, and he's protecting us from what we don't even know about, which again is way better than Superman. Because God's power goes out ahead of you to all the places everywhere and eliminates threats before they are even threats. Superman can't do that. But that is the power protecting you. God is proactively protecting. Thirdly, God's power is approachable. It's possible some of us believe God is, we we believe, we're on board, God is almighty, he's unmatched, he's unrivaled, yeah, that's true. But we struggle to believe that God would really be for us. Like, how could, how, how could someone like me be included in God's protection? Or how could someone like me have access to that kind of power? I'm too messed up. I have too much history. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Maybe God protects some people like that, but he won't do that for me. And if that is you, you need to hear that God is approachable. These verses describe him basically as a mother bird, and we are inside of his wings, verse 4. So on one side, God's wing is an impenetrable shield protecting us from all threats. But on the other side, where we are, is feathers, right? He's an invincible soldier that is everywhere and undefeated and unmatched. And at the same time, he's a snuggle buddy. Like the kid would crawl up in a parent's lap without any hesitation. We can approach God like that. So yes, you can be included, even you. This is available to you. You can be under the protection of his unmatched, 
proactive power, meaning, yes, it is a fair reading of this text to say that we, all of us, can have Superman-like powers, and if anything, it's selling it short to say that this text claims that we are like Superman, because the power in us is far greater than those fictional powers of speed, strength, flight. What we have is far greater, according to this, which sounds wonderful. The problem, of course, is it doesn't seem to be true in our experience at least at first glance. Because even the most faithful of us, even the most faithful of us have seasons of difficulty or pain or suffering where we don't appear to be protected at all. Like we have said many other weeks, even Jesus' disciples, like his closest guys, they, they were all either martyred or imprisoned. And there have been scores of other martyrs throughout history. Just the uh, English Reformation alone. Small history lesson, I think it's like 30 seconds. There were a number of English monarchs during the 15, 1600s that executed people for questioning certain practices of the state church. Mostly these scandalous reformers. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to read the Bible in English. Ooh. And they criticized the church for selling indulgences, like having people pay money for their sins to be forgiven. So, so the reformers are like, no, we want to read the Bible in our own language, and, we, and, and you don't have to pay for your sins because Jesus paid for your sin. But the monarchs were firm and said, no Bible in English, no, and you must pay for your salvation with money. And we're going to execute everyone who questions what the state church is doing. So the reformers were executed. Queen Mary alone executed nearly 300 so-called heretics, mostly by burning them at the stake. Um, that's why you call it a Bloody Mary, by the way. Uh, certainly doesn't seem like God was protecting those people in a Superman kind of way. Those martyrs did not see their enemies fall at their side, right? Instead, they fell they didn't have long life like it says here in verse 16. And if there were angels around to protect those reformers, like it says in verse 11, you know, God will command his angels to guard you in all your ways. Were the angels taking a break? Were they twiddling their thumbs? What would you tell the families of those martyrs? They, you know, they flip open to Psalm 91, which maybe they can now read in English because of their executed loved one and their scanning. And they read, God will guard you in all your ways. And they say, well, I just, I just saw my husband or my dad burned alive, and then his ashes were thrown in the river. So, God will deliver from snare and pestilence. No evil will befall you. He's protecting us. Where was he? You'd ask the same question of Peter and James, the brother of John, in Acts 12. Herod had James, the brother of John, that's one of Jesus' disciples, Herod had James put to death with the sword, Acts 12. Then Herod had Peter arrested, and Peter was scheduled to be put to death. But before the execution could take place, an angel, just like it says here in Psalm 91, an angel appeared in Peter's jail and rescued Peter. He got Peter to safety which is great if you're Peter. But why did God send angels to Peter and not to James? They were probably in the exact same jail just a week or so later. 
Was God protecting one but not the others? Is Peter Superman but James isn't? You see the problem? If God protects us, if this is true, how does he protect us? And what good is it being Superman if you can still be put to death by the sword or burned alive? That doesn't sound very Superman. So we're going to discuss that, uh, but first we're going to take a little time out uh, because I want to address one issue in the text which you might already be wondering about, and I don't have anywhere else to put it in the message. So we're just going to put it right here, uh, and we're going to come back to our question about protected Superman-type people dying in a second. We'll get there. But let's give some thought to the idea of angels. Because modern Westerners, which most of you are, likely scoff at the idea of angels. You might scoff at the idea of angels. But before you dismiss angelic beings as a possibility altogether, think about this. By far, most cultures, even today, and certainly over the course of the history of the world, but most cultures believe in a spiritual world of both good and evil. Most cultures do even today. Now, modern Westerners don't believe in a spiritual world, uh, but by far, the majority of everyone else does. So if you are going to dismiss all of them, by what evidence do you say they are all wrong? Isn't it a bit narrow to scoff at the majority of peoples and cultures in the whole world? Isn't that a bit narrow to say you're right and majority of people have it wrong and have had it wrong for the history of the world? You like to think of yourself as open-minded, but you think the majority of people and the majority of cultures in the world are currently wrong. So just give that some consideration. Second, uh, talk to your Christian friends and ask how many close calls they have had in their personal lives, either in regard to maybe serious injury or barely avoiding a huge mistake Like, were they almost in a tragic accident? Or were they about to make a terrible decision, but maybe someone just happened to call them right then, or someone walked in, and then that mistake was avoided somehow? Most Christians have some stories like that. And is that coincidence? Maybe. Also, maybe not. It could be God's intervention protecting his people. So if you are someone who has always dismissed angelic beings even as a possibility. Just give it some thought. Okay, back to our question. Uh, Why did God send angels to Peter but not to James and not to English Reformation martyrs among countless others? Was God protecting one but not the others? Are, Are some believers Superman and others not? No. The answer is he was protecting both of them. God protects us either by preventing or by allowing physical harm. Sometimes God protects us by preventing physical harm. We don't get the plague. But sometimes God uh, protects us by allowing physical harm. And either way, he is protecting us. In other words, you are no less protected if you are dead than if you are alive. Jesus explained it like this in Luke 21. He's talking with his disciples, and Jesus says, you will be delivered up by parents and brothers and friends and relatives, and some of you they will put to death, right? Maybe he looked over and said, I'm looking at you, James. Um, But he continues, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. 
You see that? Some of you, they will deliver to death, but not a hair on your head will perish. In the same breath, Jesus says some of his followers will be put to death. And he simultaneously says, not a hair on your head will perish. So they are dead and they are safe. So there is a way to be protected even if we are killed because we still have everything we need, right? We are totally secure, even if someone kills us. Death is only scary if your refuge is life. If life is the thing that you must have in order to be okay, then sure, we're pretty vulnerable. But if our refuge is the Lord, like we talked about last week, death or anything else that can happen to us in some ways is inconsequential. Because any pain that befalls us could be used to drive us further into our refuge. And then we end up with even more of our ultimate joy, which is God himself. It's why the New Testament writers can say, consider it pure joy when you experience trials of many kinds. Or they say, rejoice in suffering. Or Paul says, to live is for Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1. So Paul says he'd rather die and be with Jesus than be spared and continue his work in the world. Right? But at the same time, he realizes, hey, it's, it's better for other people if I stick around. So he's convinced God will have him stick around on the planet uh, just for the benefit of others. But Paul says, hey, let's be honest here. If I'm the only one being considered, and I'm not the only one being considered, we've got to do what's best for everyone. But if I'm the only one being considered, then it's better for me to just go be with Jesus right now. That's Paul's, views, Paul's view on protection. That's Paul's view on deliverance. Paul would see execution as even better deliverance than being spared from execution. So even if pain or harm or death come to you, you are still just as protected as if it didn't because you still have your refuge. You still have your security. So with that framework, let's come back to our Superman text, Psalm 91. No evil will befall you. You will tread on the lion and the serpent. Thousands will fall at your side. It is not saying God will only give you pleasant circumstances. It is not saying nothing uncomfortable will ever happen to you if you just trust Jesus. It is not saying no one will ever falsely accuse you, the dogs won't bite, the bees won't sting. It is not saying that. That does not fit with scriptural witness. That does not fit with faith, faithful people of history. You know, Queen Mary's victims or James or eventually all the apostles, right? They were not forgotten by God. And even the ones God did rescue from execution, they still died some other way someday. So what then? Did God have them in a little protective bubble for a little bit, but then stop having them in the protective bubble? No, of course not. Psalm 91 is not somehow saying if you're faithful enough, you'll unlock the fountain of youth. That's not what it's saying. It's saying the evil intent to bring about your ultimate demise will be unsuccessful. Even if the lion, the thousand soldiers, the serpent, the plague, even if it kills you, it will be unsuccessful in its ultimate goal of bringing down your demise. Whatever those threats do to you, whatever they do, will only drive you further into the arms of God who is your ultimate joy and reward. In other words, these threats think and they attempt to take away our treasure. But really, they only give us more of our treasure if our treasure is Christ. So they fail. 
they fail to bring us down. Even if they kill us, they fail. Um, They all fall at our sides. We trample all of them underfoot. They can't touch us, ultimately. I remind us of Romans 8.28 frequently because I think we need to hear it frequently. Right? God will use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God will use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. And then a few verses later, it names all the kinds of things that God will use for our good. He named tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, height, depth. In all these things, it says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8.37. So something kills us. Remember, death is one of the things God is going to use. Something kills us where we have famine, and yet we are more than conquerors. That's what it says, Romans 8. Romans 8. And that's because that threat wanted to rob us of what we held most dear. But the threat was then turned on its head and was used to give us more of what we hold most dear. It had evil intent. And tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, sword, those are evil in and of themselves. They are evil. But God enables us to so defeat them that not only do they fail to accomplish our demise, they are actually turned into our servants to give us more of what we love the most. That's why we're more than conquerors. We don't just defeat these threats. They are forced to give us, be our slaves, to give us what we really wanted all along, if what we really wanted all along was more of Jesus. That's how God protects us. Whatever happens to us, we always only get more and more and more of our deepest treasure. Everything will fall at our side. We will trample everything. We are impervious to threats. We will have supreme victory. Okay, Um, finally, our confidence that this is true that God really does protect us and give us victory in this way. Because if I were a skeptic, I would say, seems like you Christians um, are just telling yourselves this to make yourselves feel better. Seems like it's something losers would tell themselves to kind of like trick themselves that they actually had a victory. I'd say, you were really defeated. You were beaten. And now you're just trying to spin that like, nice try, but that's not the way it works. In reality, we win some, we lose some, but in the end, we all lose because we all die, and that is life. That's what I'd say if I were a skeptic. So here's our confidence that that this really is true, that we aren't just tricking ourselves into believing that we are victorious, but that we are actually victorious. Here's our confidence. It's the resurrection. Like we said last week, all scripture is about Jesus. Every psalm is about Jesus. It's kind of funny that some psalms are classified as messianic psalms when really they all are. But look, uh, verse 1, who dwelled in the shelter of the Most High since all eternity? Who was that? Verse 2, who took refuge in God always? Verse 5, who faced the terror of the night all night long in the garden and trusted God every step of the way. Verse 11 and 12, who had angels attend to him in the garden to strengthen him and who had legions of angels at his disposal should he have asked for them. Verse 6, who faced the destruction in the middle of the day. Verse 13, who trampled on the serpent. And yet, verse 15, 
When Jesus called to the Father on the cross, the Father did not answer him, as this says he will. Instead of an answer, there was silence from his beloved for the first time in eternity. Why? Because Jesus gave up the protection he deserved so that you and I can have it. Instead of Jesus looking at the recompense of the wicked, verse 8, Jesus bore the recompense of the wicked so that the wicked, you and me, could enter into his shelter. Evil was temporarily allowed to take down Jesus, contrary to what verse 10 says. But that wasn't the end of the story. Evil thought it had victory over Jesus. All the sin and greed and lies that sent Jesus to the cross, they believed that they have defeated this messianic troublemaker. But really, all their plots played right into the hands of the greatest victory this earth has ever experienced, the death of death, the death of sin, the death of condemnation. Death thought it had swallowed up Jesus, but really, Jesus was swallowing up death. Because Jesus rose victorious over sin, grave, evil, we now know, we know, it's confidence, we know that those will not have final say over us. It's not pie in the sky. This is certain. They don't win. They've already been defeated. We've seen his salvation. It's his resurrection. Verse 16, that's how we know all of this is true. We know, that's how we know Psalm 91 is true. Evil won't win in the end. It won't have the final victory because Jesus had the final victory. Life in Jesus wins because he was resurrected. Now we know which one is more powerful all these evil, tribulation, famine, distress, persecution, or the life that we have in Jesus. We know that we will have victory. We will be protected because we are in him and because he was resurrected, victorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are protected in the shelter of your wings. Thank you that whatever this world may throw at us, that we are totally secure and that thousands do fall at our side, and that we are impervious to all real danger because we are kept. And we know that what the final victory is, Lord, that it was you rising over all sin and greed and evil and shame and guilt, and that that's all defeated. And if we are in you, then it is defeated in our lives as well. So, Lord, give us the confidence that Psalm 91 teaches us and give us the confidence uh, of your resurrection. May we see you uh, as you are, high and lifted up on your throne, reigning uh, forever and ever, freeing us from all worry. Uh, we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.
so glad uh, each and every one of you decided to make this service part uh, of your Sunday, and it is fantastic to see each and every one of you. Um, in the lead-up to this week, there were um, more than I think ever before people who contacted me in advance were like, I'm really looking forward to Psalm 91. I've had it memorized for 50 years or, uh, or various other statements like that. Um, and so you are Many of you are very familiar with this text, um, and you might have some questions uh, about what we said this morning. And so if I got something wrong, I want to hear about it. Um, or if you just uh, have a question, I want to hear that too. So you can submit those uh, online there at bridges.info. There's a button for sermon questions. We always want more uh, dialogue and conversation to happen. We don't want this to just be a take it or leave it and um, never have any discussion about what is said in here. This is uh, Christian life and faith is, a, is, is something that we need to process over time. So we want to be open to the processing of it back and forth. So feel free to contact us on there. While you're there, uh, there's a button for giving online. We're coming to the end of our fiscal year. Uh, we run kind of like a school year, September until the end of August. So our fiscal year ends in about a month and a half. Uh, we're currently a little behind, as we often are in the summer, and I know some folks uh, just save up many months or a quarter of giving and then give all at once. If that was you, uh, now is the time uh, to do that, to, uh, to help us catch up uh, before we end our 
uh, fiscal year. There's also boxes on the back wall that you can uh, get, put your offering in there if you would like. Well, as Steve said earlier in uh, this service, on July 31st, we will not be here in this building. There will be an online service available if you can't make it to the beach, but we would love for you to come to the beach. And specifically, if you have not been baptized since becoming a believer in Christ, we would really love to talk with you. You can get in contact with us through bridges.info, or you can talk to Steve uh, or me or any of our leadership about getting baptized at the beach, and we want to process that next step uh, of faith with you. Uh, Well, hey, thanks again for being here this morning, and we pray uh, that as you go this week, you carry with you a sense of God's protection and shield uh, over every corner of your life. Thanks.